I think we all have heard the opening line or know the opening line from Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities. It's been called perhaps the greatest opening line of any book of English literature. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, yeah. I'd like to suggest a better one, though. <clears throat> it's the opening line of another book that talks about the life of Jesus Christ. It was written by Mark, and he simply says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What good news. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And he came to earth so he'd be near to us and show us what God is like. And he came to be a servant of all things. The King of kings and the Lord of lords did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He entered into our brokenness so that he could bring restoration. I want you to think of that word and have that word in your heart and mind today because that's what this message is about. It's about restoration. Jesus Christ came, you see, because ever since uh, sin entered the human condition in the Garden of Eden, we had enjoyed something with God. We'd enjoyed closeness and sinlessness with God, fellowship. And when sin came in, all of that was lost. Brokenness resulted from it. Death came in. All of creation uh, was changed that day. And ever since that time, God has been on mission to restore to people what was lost in the beginning in the garden. I've always admired the work of those who can fix up an old car. How about you? Look at this inset down there. There's a dilapidated, old, rusty, fallen apart vehicle. And somebody painstakingly works and restores and renews and brings it back to the condition it was Sometimes better, I think, than it was when it was first made. And that's what God wants to do to broken humanity. He wants to restore broken humanity. He wants to bring them back to where the, it was with him. That's, that's his heartbeat. And so Mark sets out to tell the story about Jesus Christ. In his story, we've seen there's some, uh, a few characters in it. First of all, there's disciples. Whenever you see the word disciples in there, generally speaking, uh, this would refer to anyone who had recognized Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and they were following him. There could be many disciples. The word simply means learners. Now, more specifically, uh, especially after today's chapter, when uh, Jesus calls 12 of them specifically to be his apostles, uh, the word disciple will then sometimes refer just to the twelve follow uh, apostles. But when you read in Mark, oftentimes it's referring to many people who were following Jesus, becoming learners. He also ministered to people, individuals and crowds of people. They are, you know, he would talk to an individual like the woman at the well and let her know there's hope for her life. But also his uh, fame is growing 
And great crowds of people are coming to him. And he often ministered to great crowds of people. And you'll also see in Mark's story religious leaders often encountering Jesus. Scribes who were the official interpreters of the Old Testament. The Pharisees who practiced many extra-biblical traditions. And their practice of religion had become external. And it had brought self-righteousness. And Jesus' way does not fit in with their ways at all. There were Sadducees and chief priests whose focus was primarily around the oversight of the temple activities. And so Jesus, as he encounters these groups, he's starting to explain this way of restoration. How can you, how, what's God's plan to get us back to himself? And so the very first words that Jesus preached were these, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the very first thing he preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. What was predicted by the prophets is fulfilled. The time has come. Now listen, repent and believe in this gospel. You see, the way God wants to restore people is he's inviting people to enter his kingdom. You see, and, and God's kingdom is not a geographical location. It's not like the kingdom of the United States or the kingdom of England or the kingdom of Germany. It's not that at all. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's, it's a realm in which God's reign and his restoration and his blessings can be experienced. And a person cannot enter into the kingdom of God physically. You can only enter into the kingdom of God spiritually through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the way of entrance into that kingdom. And you can experience blessings there. And so Jesus starts teaching. And he starts explaining the kingdom. He went into uh, the synagogue in Capernaum. It says, and he went to, into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. That was a big part of his ministry. He was teaching people about the kingdom. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Often when he taught about the kingdom, he would say these kind of things. He's taught, first of all, about the worth of the kingdom. He would say this, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of, a fine, of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had so he could buy it. What's he saying? There's nothing more valuable than the kingdom of God. And those who recognize that are willing to sell everything so that they can enter in. They're willing to give up anything. There's nothing more important than being a part of God's kingdom because that's where the restoration and blessing are coming. He taught the values of the kingdom. He would say like, things like this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, there's a different set of values in the kingdom. The earth says, you know, love your own. <laughs> Hate those who hate you. He says, no, it doesn't work like that in my kingdom. In my kingdom, love your neighbor, but love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In this world, pride and self-sufficiency and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is what really matters in this world. But in his kingdom, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who know that they need God. One day in the synagogue, 
in his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus said that he was the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy, which talks about restoration in the kingdom. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's he saying? I'm the Messiah. I've come to inaugurate God's kingdom. And in my kingdom, I am Lord. And I'm going to reverse the curses of sin. And I'm going to restore people to the blessings of the kingdom. Good news. Amen. Good news. And he starts to demonstrate what this life in the kingdom's like. In Mark, Mark starts telling the story. In chapter 1, he says, he's teaching again in the synagogue of Capernaum, and a man has an unclean spirit. And Jesus uh, delivers this man from this unclean spirit. Then he goes to Simon Peter's home in Capernaum, and uh, uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. He heals her. Then people start rushing to Peter's house. They hear that Jesus is there, and they're gathering outside of his house. And Jesus comes out, and it says he healed many and who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And then he started spreading to other towns around the Sea of Galilee, doing the same thing, preaching, healing, delivering people from demons. And one day, a leper came up to him and knelt down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he reached out and touched the leper. I tried to put this in my context. I've, ne I've never seen anyone with leprosy or a skin disease that's contagious. I thought of the Ebola virus. Would you reach out and touch someone with Ebola? But what's going on here? There's a reversal in the kingdom. Instead of Jesus getting leprosy, the leper got healed. <laughs> See, Jesus wants to restore. He wants to reverse. He, he wants to give back the blessings to people in the kingdom. That's what he's doing. There's controversies that arise because of the kingdom. And it's all with the religious people, the religious leaders of all people. There was a controversy when Jesus said to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins, the scribes reason. And actually, they're right. <laughs> Only God can forgive sins, but Jesus says, so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to say to this paralytic, get up and walk. And he did. There was controversy when Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. The scribes and the Pharisees said, why does he eat with those people? They don't keep any of our rules. They don't, they're sinners. And the point is, that's the kingdom. See, Jesus wants to minister to sinners in the king. He wants to bring sinners into the kingdom. He loves sinners, not their sin. He never compromises or embraces their sin, but he always embraces the sinner. He wants to bring them something better. He wants to restore them. He wants to give them a new life. There was controversy when Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. And Jesus said, listen, the bride, I'm the bridegroom. They can't fast now. And he said to the religious leaders, you know, you're like trying to put, I'm like a, a patch of unshrunk cloth, and you're trying to sew me on that old stinky garment of all your rules and regulations. It does not work. I am new wine. You can't put me in your old wine skins. Don't, don't box me in like that. Don't make me follow all your rules. They're extra biblical. 
I have a righteousness that's better than your righteousness. Then there was a controversy when Jesus' disciples worked on the Sabbath. They were hungry, and they picked some grains. And last week, Pastor Tom very uh, wonderfully pointed out to us that the Sabbath was made for man, for a blessing for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's not supposed to be a burden. You guys have made it a burden. It was made to be a blessing to people. And lastly, and probably the final straw, is that Jesus healed a man of a withered hand on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And it says that the religious leaders at that point went out and took counsel with the Herodians to destroy him. Herodians were people who had aligned themselves politically and in support of Herod Antipas. He was the Roman appointed leader of Galilee. He's the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. His father, Herod the Great, was the one who had all the babies two years old and under in Bethlehem killed a generation earlier when Jesus was born. You're going to align yourself with them? How many of you know this? And it's a warning to all of us. If you reject Jesus, listen to me, young people. If you reject Jesus... If you don't listen to him, you'll make all kind of terrible choices in your life and unholy alliances. That's what happens. Be warned. And these were the religious people, the religious leaders. And so we come to our text today in Mark 3, verse 7. If you have your Bible, we can turn to it. And Mark picks up the story. Isn't this an awesome story? I read Tale of Two Cities. It's a good book. Speaking of all the things and events around the French Revolution. But man, nothing beats this. This is is awesome. So verse 7 of chapter 3. It says, Jesus withdrew, and he withdrew as the, the plot was going out against his very life. He withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. Jesus is really, the fame of Jesus before Facebook, before internet, before anything, uh, his fame is growing, word of mouth, people traveling back to these areas telling people what Jesus has done. I want to show you this map of Palestine just to remind you, I know it's a little small, but you see up toward the top there, there's a section of Galilee, you see the body of water there, that's the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is up in the top of that and all those little towns, fishing towns and others around the sea. The Jordan River runs directly south from that sea into the Dead Sea all the way down here in the south. Galilee's up in the north. That's where Jesus is from. Nazareth's up in that area. There's Samaria in the middle where those half-breeds lived. (laughs) Then down in the south you see Judea, Bethlehem there, Jerusalem, Idumea is down farther below. When it says east of the Jordan, it's, or beyond the Jordan, see that area, Perea? That's, was, that was the area just to the east of the Jordan River. And Tyre and Sidon are cities way up at the top in the, in the north, on the top left, in the, in the country of, or the area of Phoenicia. People are coming and walking those distances. No automobiles, maybe a donkey. Can I ask you something? Jerusalem's about 100 miles away from Capernaum. What would it take for you to walk 100 miles? I thought about it. It's about 100 miles to Columbus. 
you know, we're so spoiled, we'll pop in our car, we'll be there an hour and a half, right? Some of you faster because you break the law. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Jeff? You just came back from Columbus. <laughs> But really, what would it take to have, what would motivate you so much that you'd be willing to walk 100 miles? If you walked 20 miles a day, it would take you five days to get there. Friends, there's a deep hunger in this world for hope within the human soul. There's a deep hunger that somebody some way, somehow, can help my condition, who can fill this void. In this case, often it was the sick, who had no options. There was nothing they could do. But now they hear of a, this prophet, perhaps, who can heal me. And people are coming. And so great crowds come from all around Tyre and Sire. And they came when they heard all that Jesus was doing. And then look at verse 9. It says, And he told his disciples, look at what he had to do, to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And we've talked a lot about why he said that. But he, he had to, listen, if you've walked 100 miles and Jesus is like 50 yards from you, but there's a whole bunch of people, listen, you're not going to want to be denied. There was a pressing forward. It, it got dangerous and Jesus said, I have a boat ready. I don't know what they'll, you know, they might crush us. I think the biggest crowd Linda and I ever were in, I don't know if you've been in something scary like that, but we were at Disney, and Disney has big crowds, but it's, it's manageable. But one night, I think we stayed for whatever the closing thing was at the Magic Kingdom. They have a parade, and they have whatever. And then as soon as that ends, the park closes, so everybody's just heading to the one direction. And I'll tell you, it was a little freaky, because there were people everywhere, and you just, you weren't controlling... You just had to go. You know what I mean? It was like, you couldn't like just stop. I mean, people would literally run into you. It, you would be, and you think, man, if, the, if they got spooked or something, this could be dangerous. Well, that was the situation Jesus was in. They were pressing up against him. Now, they were pressing against him because he was healing and he was casting out demons. I want to speak a little bit about the healing ministry of Jesus Christ and the miracles of Jesus Christ. And I want to do this uh, uh, honestly and, and give you some information that's on my heart to share. First of all, why did Jesus do these miracles? Why did he heal people? I believe, first of all, he had compassion for people. He loved people. Don't think for a minute that when you're going through something that Jesus doesn't care. There's an old hymn, does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. He loves you deeply. I think another reason is that he, he used miracles to validate his person. They spoke to who he was, the infinite God-man in the flesh. But the one I want to just think, have you think about a little bit more is something here. I think he came 
to show us the first fruits of the kingdom. Now let me explain that. To the Jewish person uh, was called to participate in the Feast of First Fruits. It happened at the opening of the agricultural season when the very first crops had come, started to come in, the very first harvest, some of the uh, wheat harvest or barley harvest that came early in the agricultural season. They, were to, they brought that, those first fruits and they would bring it before the Lord. And there was, it was for two purposes. First of all, they brought it to say, thank you, God. Thank you for the harvest. Thank you for this, uh, this provision from you. And, but secondly, they said, we are also trusting you for the full harvest that's going to come in at the end of the agriculture season when we bring everything in. We're going to bring everything in. And so several months later, at the end of the agricultural season, they celebrated another feast called the Feast of Ingathering, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the first fruits were a sign that the full harvest was coming. I say that to you because we live with a tension in life. I have ministered to many who have terminal illnesses. I have prayed with their families. We've prayed for a miracle. And no miracle has come on this side of the earth. What do you do with that? Jesus healed all the people that came to him. Isn't he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Yes, he is. And do I doubt that Jesus can do a miracle today? Don't you, don't you doubt it. I know he could heal. In fact, there's probably more miracles that are happening today that we don't even know or see. But I'm just saying, even within my own family, We've experienced this, praying for a miracle. Jesus healed many, but did he end sickness in this world? Jesus raised the dead. Did he eliminate death at this time? Jesus calmed the storm. Did he eliminate all natural disturbances and hurricanes and tornadoes? Did he reset that order? No, he hasn't done that yet. But listen, he's given us the first fruits so that you would know that a day is coming when he is going to eliminate those things. He's given you the first fruits of the kingdom as a sign that the full restoration is coming. And you can be assured that it is going to be a glorious time. John wrote about it. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe. Listen. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There is a full harvest coming. I'm excited about that. And I, I rejoice in the miracles of Jesus Christ. And I believe in them fully. But they point to a future reality that still awaits us. 
in its fullness. That's why some people have called this, we live with a tension of already but not yet. We already possess the first fruits of the kingdom. We, when, you, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, His Holy Spirit comes into your life. You experience the forgiveness of sins. You experience His presence, His help, His grace. But listen, you're going to experience a lot more of His presence <laughs> when you stand in the kingdom and he, He's with us face to face. Paul wrote about this. He said, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. He's saying, first of all, creation is a longing for that day. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, listen, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eager, wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He's saying, hey, there's an inner groaning in all of us for that day. But listen, until that day, be encouraged that it's coming, but until that day, Jesus says, I have something really important for you to do. And that's to join me on the mission of helping people be restored. Helping people have that restoration in their life. And so, in verse 13, he says, And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. Jesus went up on the mountain and he called to him those who he desired and they came to him. He's going to appoint, and we'll see it in just a second, 12 of them as his apostles. But there's a calling issued to disciples. Do you know Jesus is, he's calling. <laughs> he called the 12 back in his day, but he's still calling people today. He's calling people, follow me. And I was thinking about the characteristics of this, you know, around that uh, Sea of Galilee up there, all those fishing towns, and Andrew and Peter were fishermen. They were part of the fishing industry. James and John were part of the fishing, and they were fit. Nothing wrong with being a fisherman, right? But Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. It's like, that's good, but I even have something better for you. Come, follow me. It won't always mean leaving your career, although it might do that. But know this, you always have to leave something to follow Jesus. You have to leave where you're at. You can't, you can't just stay and do everything the same way as you've always done it and expect to be with Jesus. He's always, he says, come. No, I've got something better for you. Come follow me. Today, he might be issuing a call to anyone here. Come follow me. I have something more for you. I have something, this, this isn't all that I have for you. And so in verses 14 through 19, it says that he appointed uh, 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Isn't that interesting? He appointed 12 to be apostles, meaning messengers, ambassadors. And they're going to do the ministry like Jesus did the ministry. And he appointed, and it says their names there, Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. I, we don't know why, but maybe they were just powerful and zealous in their zeal to serve the Lord. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew or Levi, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You know, Jesus appointed 12, first of all, so that they might be with him. 
<laughs> and the greatest blessing, folks, that we can enjoy as followers of Jesus Christ is to be with him, to be close with him, to live life in his presence. Every day, know that Jesus wants to be near you. He calls us to be his followers and to, and to come to him. He wants you to be with him. And then he called them that they might be sent out. And Jesus appoints all those who have been with him to share the overflow of your heart and life and the ways that he has restored you with others. I close with this today. I was thinking of the lives of the apostles and how they were restored, how God brought restoration to them. I thought of the first time Jesus met Peter. And he asked Peter after he'd been out all night fishing to put out one time, one more time. They hadn't caught anything. And you remember Peter's response. Matt, you know, here's this rabbi. He's trying to be respectful. Rabbi, we, we've been out all night. We're the fishermen. You know, you're a teacher. You're a rabbi. No offense. And Jesus says, let's go out. Go out with me. I'll go with you. He says, okay, because you said it. <laughs> and so they go out, and, and all of a sudden, what, what happens? This huge catch of fish. By the way, too, just before I talk about Peter's reaction, isn't that a beautiful picture of the restoration God wants to bring? How we labor and we don't catch anything and we get, no, you know, you just, and then Jesus comes and gives a fullness. <laughs> I love that about Jesus. But Peter says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He knew he was in the presence of someone holy. Someone who could do what he just did. He recognized that as a miracle. And his first response, when, you're, when you really see yourself in light of God's holiness, the first response is always to, I have to get out of here. But, I, but Jesus wants to restore Peter. He says, don't, no, don't worry, Peter. That's why I've come. That's why I've come, to restore you. How many of you know that Jesus can bring restoration from our sinfulness? He can restore us from our sinfulness. He went to the cross to do that and pay a penalty for us. You can turn to him today. There's no sin that he will not forgive in your life. And if he's speaking to your heart today, come to him. He says, I will restore you from the penalty and the guilt of your, of your sin. I thought of Peter's life again a little later when he denied Jesus three times after he said he'd be willing to die for him. You know, when, the, when the, that rooster crowed or whatever it was, and then he went out, it says he, whipped, he wept bitterly. How many of you know that Jesus can restore us when we fail? Peter believed in him. But he failed. In his human weakness, he, he was afraid. And he denied that he even knew Jesus. Listen, I don't know what failures you've had, even as believers. But Jesus can restore you and forgive you. And he restored Peter. And Peter became a rock in the church. Thomas had his doubts. <laughs> I will not believe unless I put my hand in his palms and, and sighed. And Jesus came to him and said, Thomas, put your hand here. Put your hand here. Now believe. 
How many of you know he can restore faith? Where your faith is, is weak today. Where you've kind of just going through doldrums and you're not close to God. How many of you know he can restore you and bring you back? You can reach out to him today. And lastly, I thought of this. Levi the tax collector working, colluding with the Roman government to get taxes from the Jewish people is called by Jesus, and Simon the Zealot. The Zealots are a group of insurgents who hated the Roman rule and often had uh, attacking the, the Romans and making these insurgent attacks. And here, so we have a colluder with the government, a hater of the government, and Jesus brings them together. <laughs> How many of you know that Jesus can restore us from the divisions among us? <laughs> He's a restoring God. That's, he's in the restoration business. All we need to do is believe and trust that he has grace for us. Jesus said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. He's, it's at hand right now in this moment. You're near the kingdom. Repent and believe in this gospel. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And uh, there's a song that I want us to take some time with this as we close. And I just want to sing briefly this song, if I can sing it. If it sounds terrible, just look at the words. <laughs> because it's, it's the meaning of the song that is what, is what, uh, is what I want you to hear. There's grace for you today. And I invite you to come to Jesus however you'd want to come in these moments as, we, as I sing this. If you want to just bow humbly at your seat, if you want to come and seek God up here and say, God, I need you. Would you restore me? Would you, restore, would you bring restoration? These, these, this is the most holy moment of the service. I know it's toward the end. We're going to dismiss in just a few moments. But this is a holy moment. Whenever somebody reaches out to God, whenever you turn your heart to God, it's like God runs to that person. It says that his eyes search to and fro throughout the earth, just looking for people whose hearts are dedicated to him, whose hearts are seeking him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they're the ones who will be satisfied. Jesus said, that's how it works in my kingdom. So even as I sing this, please respond. I'm not trying to force anything. However God would lead that, let him lead it. But let's turn to him.